Welcome back to the Flaming Grenade Serial Podcast. If this is your first time here, this is an ongoing story, so you probably want to go back and start from the beginning. Otherwise, um, please enjoy the next episode. Chapter 89, Lingolosa, Sicily, Italy. The bells hanging from the door jingled as Vincenzo walked into the bar. Sorry, we're closed, Mario said without looking up. He was sweeping the floor behind the counter. Carmela rushed into the front room from the back, hoping Giuseppe had returned. They had plans for dinner, and she hadn't heard from him all day. He promised he would call if he wasn't going to make it. Oh, Enzo, how are you? Is Giuseppe here? he asked without bothering with a greeting. Oh, hi, Enzo, Mario said. No, I was going to ask you. Have you heard from him, Enzo? He was supposed to call. No, I figured he came straight here. He said you guys were going to get dinner. I tried to call and no one answers. Carmela was starting to get worried. Admittedly, she was having doubts when she hadn't heard from Giuseppe all day. They had a great time at the beach the day before, and Carmela felt everything went fine. But maybe he got cold feet or something. Did she do something to annoy him or turn him off? She tried to give him his distance and hadn't called him all day because she knew he was working. But with Vincenzo saying he wasn't responding, her fear shifted. He wouldn't just ignore a co-worker. What if something happened to him? Carmela went to the register and picked up her cell phone, which she kept on top of the tray. She dialed Giuseppe's number. It rang and rang, but no one answered. She hung up and tried again. This time it went straight to voicemail. Maybe he was in a meeting or he had the volume turned down. Carmela decided to send a text message instead. If he couldn't pick up the phone to talk, at least he could pull it out to read her message. Please call or text. Enzo looking for you, too. Love, Carmela. I just sent him a text. Please, Enzo, sit. Café? Mario said. No, thank you. No more coffee for me today. But do you mind if I wait to see if he responds? Of course not. Please come upstairs with me and we can wait in the apartment. Carmela led Enzo back behind the bar and up a set of stairs that connected the downstairs bar with the upstairs apartment. Vincenzo sat at the kitchen table and Carmela tended to the dinner she was cooking for her father. What if he never texts me back? Do you think he is still working? I don't know. He was supposed to check in this afternoon to let the marshallo know if he would be working late, but he never called. And we haven't heard from his new partner either. Carmela brewed herself a cup of tea and sat at the table across from Enzo. The phone was placed in the center of the small table, and they both stared intently at the screen, willing it to ring. Chapter 90, Mount Etna, Sicily, Italy Giuseppe awoke with a splitting headache. The pain in his side was intense, but most of all he just felt cold. It was dark, and he could smell gasoline and oil mixed with burned rubber and blood. He also caught brief snatches of pine and damp earth mingled with the stench of his own sweat and fear. He had to get off the mountain, let someone know what happened. He tried to pull himself up to a seated position and forgot the injury to his right shoulder. He cried out and sweat broke out on his forehead. He closed his eyes and tried to focus on his goal. He needed to stand and walk. He looked up and could barely make out the ledge above him in the moonlight. Darkness fell as a cloud crossed over the moon. Giuseppe's eyes were beginning to adjust to the darkness and he bent to examine his injured leg. He felt along his leg and felt the stabbing pain when he touched his knee. Tenderly, he probed the knee and found no open wounds, but it was tender and swollen. Continuing his examination, he felt a cold stickiness on his calf. He held his hand up close to his face and squinted in the pale light. 
He couldn't make out details, but could tell his hand was covered in a black substance. He smelled his hand to confirm the unmistakable iron scent of blood. He focused his exam on his calf and found a deep cut right in the meat of the muscle. Giuseppe realized there was no way he would be able to hike out that night. He needed to fashion himself a crutch and a sling and wouldn't be able to do so in the dark. Even if he could and did, it would be impossible for him to navigate the rough terrain with a crutch and his injuries. Instead, Giuseppe decided to focus on surviving through the night. The nights on the mountain were cold, and with his injuries, he, been, he was even more susceptible to hypothermia. His body was fighting the pain and would never be able to fight the cold as well. What he really wanted was a fire, for the light and for the warmth. He couldn't light a fire so close to the vehicle and leaking gasoline, but maybe he could scoot to a better spot 10 to 15 meters away. He tried to f the front door of the car and remembered it was jammed shut. He scooted to the back door and tried it. It opened in protest, but open was open. It took him time because he could only use his left arm and leg, but he finally managed to pull himself out of the car. Pietro's body hadn't moved. He was a smoker, and Giuseppe reached between the seats to go through his pockets. Pietro's body held no warmth, and Giuseppe jumped when he accidentally touched Pietro's bare skin. In his front pocket, Giuseppe found a lighter. His mostly full bottle of water had flown into the back seat, and he set that aside as well. Every Carabinieri car was required by policy to carry an emergency kit in the trunk, and Giuseppe prayed this was one of the few cars that actually did. Having a policy was great, but without the funding to buy required kits, the policy carried little weight. And don't even get started on how many kits somehow made their way into the personal trunks of numerous officers. Giuseppe found the button at the top of the back seat that released the trunk, trunk door. He scooted over and pulled the back of the seat down. He rolled onto his left side and reached his hand into the trunk. There. He tugged on a bag and pulled it through the access panel. Nope. That was Pietro's gym bag. He reached in again, stretching to reach all corners of the trunk and felt the rough material of another duffel bag. He pulled it out and immediately recognized the red bag with the white square cross. Things were starting to go his way. Giuseppe dropped the bag out onto the dirt floor and carefully lowered himself to the ground. He couldn't think of anything else he could use and decided to begin the long scoot to find a suitable spot to sleep. About 20 meters from the car, Giuseppe dropped the bag underneath a wide fir, tr fir tree. He decided the spot was as good as any. He unzipped the duffel and started to rummage through it. At the bottom of the bag, he felt a hard plastic flashlight. He pulled it out and switched the flashlight on. Nothing. There were no batteries. He rummaged through the bag again to no avail. A beautiful flashlight with no batteries. Great. He placed the bag down and focused on gathering twigs and pine needles by feel until he had massed a good-sized pile. He brushed away a circle about a meter in diameter and began building the pile in the center of the ring. He placed some crumpled paper and pine needles under slabs of bark. Then, in a teepee formation, he balanced twigs and small sticks. He took Pietro's lighter from his pocket and spun the wheel with his thumb. It took three strikes, but finally the lighter lit. He placed the flame next to the paper and it lit right away. The pine needles started to smolder, but as soon as the paper burned, the fire died. He could see embers glowing, and he struck the letter again, this time blowing gently on the flame. A piece of bark caught, and the flame shot up. Now he had some light, and searched the area for larger branches and sticks to burn. It took time, but he built up a good pile, one he estimated would last through the night, and turned his attention to his wounds. The cut on his calf was deep. He went into the emergency bag and grabbed a first aid kit. There was a small vial of disinfectant and cream. He cleaned the wound as best he could, applied both, and then bandaged it tightly. For his knee, he used an ace bandage and wrapped it to limit movement. 
and for his shoulder a sling. Giuseppe took a sip of the water. He was so thirsty, but wanted to conserve as much as possible. Next, he set about gathering pine needles for an insulation barrier between him and the damp ground. He spread the needles just outside of his fire ring. He dragged some nearby lava rocks and stacked them in a pile on the opposite side of the fire to hopefully act as a reflector. He wanted to get as much heat as possible. When he had collected all of the needles within reach, he unpacked an emergency blanket which was folded in the kit. It was one of those reflected blankets that is supposed to retain heat. After taking two ibuprofen from the kit, he added some wood to the fire and lay down. It was going to be a long night. Chapter 91, Trecastani, Sicily, Italy. So how do we go about finding the badges, then, if you don't know where they're hiding? Heinrich wondered. Do we just start searching the church? Archbishop Antonelli explained the reason we found the church in such a mess the day before. It wasn't vandals. It was a group of Chinese men trying to find the badges for that villain Chung. Chinese? Both Zyra and I asked at the same time. Yes, they work for Li Wei Chung of Longri Enterprises, Antonelli answered. The Li Wei Chung? The Chinese billionaire? Heinrich asked, surprised. Yes, in fact, Chung himself was here earlier today, demanding I turn over the badges to him. What right does he have? I said indignantly. The same as any other wealthy, powerful man who thinks he should get whatever he wants by force or through purchase. Chung claims he wants to harness the power to create a free energy source for the world. He has never give any, given anything away for free his entire life, Heinrich argued. True, it is a ploy. If he has the power, and if, and it's a big if, he is able to harness the harness the harness energy, that will be great and make him millions. But it is the personal power he truly seeks. He is a Chinese traditionalist, and I would not be surprised if he uses the power to make himself the new emperor of China. I can't imagine what other atrocities he would commit with unlimited power at his disposal. Antonelli seemed to run out of breath from his impassioned speech. He slouched, and I poured him a glass of water from a crystal pitcher on the sideboard. Antonelli swallowed and then continued. His men sung found this one badge. After the search he conducted truthfully, I am surprised he found only one. I'm sure he'll be back, and next time he will tell, tear the church apart brick by brick and stone by stone until he finds the rest. I jumped in and described to Antonelli and Heinrich what had happened to Robert and Ashley and the men who crashed our wedding reception. I didn't mention our narrow escape through transportation, but opine the Chinese men in California must have been connected to Chung in some way. It explained how they were able to track us so quickly with the resources of Longri Enterprises behind them. They saw we were researching the massacre and the badges, and they wanted to know if we found anything new. Then, with the death of Officer Moretti and her missing badge, they were forced to make a move. It scared me that we escaped them in California, only to have them here in Sicily. We have to locate the badges right away, I exclaimed. Just then my phone rang, and I excused myself to answer it. Only a few people had the number, and most were there with me. It was the hotel clerk. He apologized profusely, then explained to me that our room had been broken into. When another guest complained of noise coming from our room, he went to ask us to quiet down and found two Chinese men going through our things. Upon discovery, the Chinese men knocked him over and ran out of the front door. He couldn't tell if they took anything with them. I breathed a sigh of relief that I had decided to bring the printouts on my tablet. I told the clerk we would be right there and hung up to explain to the group what had happened. How did they know we were there? Zyra asked. They were probably watching the church and saw you helping me yesterday. 
It would have been easy to follow you back to your hotel. We all stood to leave, but Heinrich stopped us. You keep talking about the power of the badges and spinning, but I have never seen this. Can we before we go? Of course, Antonelli replied. I brought our two badges close together, and Heinrich handed me his. Immediately, the three badges began to move until they snapped into place and began to orbit around each other, creating a lighted energy. Heinrich reached out his hand, and I could see his arm hairs stand on end. The room seemed to warm, and I stood mesmerized. Suddenly, the fourth badge in front of Antonelli flew across the air and seamlessly snapped into orbit with the rest. I stood staring, amazed at the precision and speed of the movement. Four objects traveling at such a high speed and never hitting each other. I didn't know how I was going to stop them, but as soon as I formed the thought, they stopped and crashed down to the floor. What the? I said. I reached down to pick up the badges, and we quickly wrapped them up. We said our farewells to Antonelli and promised to return the next day to begin our search. Antonelli said he would contact the Mother Superior and explain to her what was happening. Chapter 92 Linguilosa, Sicily, Italy They had both drunk more than one cup of tea, yet they still found themselves staring at Carmelo's phone. Vincenzo didn't even like tea, but he needed something to do with his hands. There had been no text, no call, no peep at all. The phone still sat silently in the center of the table. Mario had gone to bed. He woke up early to bake and received deliveries. The hallway was dark and his door was closed. Carmela tapped her finger on the table, impatient, needing to do something besides staring at the phone. We should go look for him, she stated. Where? We don't even know where they went. Well, that Pietro guy is here to help with the Moretti case, right? And she was killed up on the mountain, so we should drive up there. But there's nothing there. They already worked the crime scene. There would be no point into going there after dark. Well, if he's up on the mountain somewhere, that would explain why he's not answering his phone. He may not have a signal. There were, without question, dead spots up on the mountain. It was possible they were in such a spot and had stayed there all day, but it seemed unlikely. <coughs> I'm on duty here. I can't leave the city. Carmela stood almost knocking her chair over as it caught on a joint in the tile floor. Well, I'm going. Carmela, no, he's fine, and it's too dangerous driving on the mountain at night. You, do, you don't believe he is fine any more than I do, and I have headlights on my car. I'm not a little old suspicious Sicilian peasant woman. Don't worry. I'll call you every half hour or so, okay? Vincenzo wished he could go with her, but honestly, he was glad she was going. They needed to do something. Carmela went to her room to get a jacket and returned with jacket and purse. She took the phone from the table and left a note for her dad. Vincenzo followed her down the stairs and out to the car. She got in and backed out of the small driveway behind the bar. She turned the car and headed down the deserted street out towards the mountain. Chapter 93, Trecastani, Sicily, Italy It was later than I thought. When we walked back to the hotel, the streets were empty. The playing children and families had all gone home to bed. A ragged soccer ball sat expectantly in the gutter, forgotten until tomorrow evening. The restaurants were closed, and I saw a few lights on in windows overlooking the piazza. Even the hotel door was locked. We rang the doorbell and waited for the desk clerk to unlock it and let us in. I'm glad you are here. We are so embarrassed by the situation. The clerk followed us up the stairs, muttering apologies the entire way. Finally, I, had, I turned to him and held out my hand. Signore, please, let us see what happened, okay? Si, si, signore, prego. 
The door to our room was open, and two men were standing near the bed, the patch on their uniform reading, Polizia Municipale. They were different officers from the ones who visited us early that morning. Was that today? It seems like so long ago. One had a clipboard in his hand, and he was writing something. The other was leaning over an open drawer in the bottom of the wardrobe, holding one of Zyra's bras. He looked over to find us standing in the doorway and froze, seemingly unable to release his grasp on the pink lace. I cleared my throat to get the standing officer's attention, and he turned. He was wearing a crisp, light blue uniform shirt with a white hat and white holster and shiny black boots. Tucked in his right boot was a white traffic sign, one that looked like a lollipop. Random. Neither officer was wearing gloves, and they seemed to be just rummaging through our belongings. Hello, I'm Archie, and this is Zyra. This is our room. The officer stared at us, uncomprehending. Zyra stepped in and introduced us in Italian. The man put his pen in his pocket and reached out to shake our hand. The other was finally able to open his fingers, and he stood rooted in place, still blushing. Zyra stifled a laugh. The officer explained the hotel clerk called about the intruder, and they'd just arrived to examine the room for any missing items. I wonder how they would know if anything was missing without us being there, and suspected they were using the opportunity to conduct a free search. Your car was broken into last night, no? The lead officer asked. We nodded. And now your room has been burglarized? We are wondering why. What are they searching for? I realized they suspected we were involved with something, and was grateful we decided to let Heinrich take the badges and my computer to his room. We have no ideas, Ira explained, and we are starting to get very angry. We come to Sicily on our honeymoon, and we have been robbed twice. Why have you not caught them yet? We expect you to protect us. The officer was taken aback by this turn and didn't know how to respond. Finally, he told us to look around and see if anything was missing. We did, and I couldn't find anything. The lead officer took his glasses from his nose and rubbed his eyes. An apology would do no, do no good, so we went straight to the denuncia. We worked with him to get the paperwork done and then followed them both downstairs where the clerk copied the report for us. The two officers left, Zara giving them a dirty look and refusing to shake hands. As soon as the door shut behind them, we broke out laughing. Man, I thought I was going to pee my pants up there trying not to laugh. Zara was laughing so hard she started to cry and had to sit down on the chair in the lobby. The clerk just stared at us, completely confused and lost, like we were insane. Finally, I apologized to him and managed to stop laughing and wipe my eyes. We are terribly sorry. I don't know how they got in. What did they look like, I asked. They looked Asian, Chinese. One was a very big man. He, illus he illustrated by holding his arms out wide and flexing his muscles. The other was normal size. What did they want? We don't know. Oh, we exchanged your rental car for you? It is parked downstairs. And in the morning, the owner would like to speak to you about moving. He owns the only five-star hotel in town and would like to offer you a room there at the same rate as your room here. That would be wonderful, Zyra managed to say. And all of the doors are locked. I checked them myself. Well, good night then, I said, and we both walked upstairs to our room. When we closed and locked the door behind us, we looked at the bed and saw the bra. We broke into laughter again until my stomach hurt. There was a knock on the door, and I opened it, expecting the clerk, but it was Heinrich. Is everything okay? Why are you laughing? Sarah told him what happened, and Heinrich laughed, shaking his head. So, was anything stolen? he asked. No, I replied, but they were Chinese. Tomorrow morning, we are moving to another hotel. I think the owner is afraid we are going to raise a stink, and he will lose business. That's probably a good idea. Well, here are your badges and the computer. Thanks, Heinrich. We'll see you in the morning. Sure, I can just meet you at the church at, say, 10? Sounds good.
He went back to his room, and I shut and locked the door. Cyrus started laughing again, and it started all over. Man, it felt good to laugh. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Flaming Grenade Serial Podcast. Please subscribe, share with your friends, uh, leave a comment if you're enjoying it, and you can also contact me at theflaminggrenade at gmail. Um, Please join me for the next episode of the Flaming Grenade.